This is CliffCentral.com. You're listening to The Bounce Show with Byron Karpinski. I'm Hugh Bladen, and it's on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Blades, and it's Ben Karpinski. Why didn't you tell me? Ben Karpinski on CliveCentral.com. Big bassy intro. How's it? How are you doing? Welcome back. Missed the show last week. I was in Indonesia. I was at Club Med Bintan Island. What a place. What an experience. I was there primarily to play golf, but also just to do the whole resort experience. And what an experience it was. If you go into the Bounce of Cielo Zede, I've already put one video up, and that is of me and the Ria Bintan Golf Course. It's, um, like the way, I, the way I set my life up is that all I want to do, like for me, true wealth is travel and experiences, all that kind of stuff. And last week in those terms, I felt like a bajillionaire. It was just so cool to be at this place. Uh, really amongst great people. It's a complete and utter beach paradise. It's the island life, but with all the perks, all the, the great things you really, really want out of a holiday. But this golf course, wow. Like, you know, it's one thing going to a course where there's an amazing setting, but the fact that like the conditioning of the place, uh, the layout of the golf course is just superb championship course and the service. It's just a really beautiful part of the world. So it is 45 minutes south of Singapore. You take a, Ten and a half hour flight from Johannesburg to get there, and then it's a little ferry trip. So forty five minutes in the ferry, it's really cool because you see all the big buildings for Singapore and you dodge all the big boats, and then you're there, Bintan Island. So I'll be giving you, well, I'll be putting more content out around my week there last week. Um, it's just uh, I got so much work to do because when you go away for a week, it's one thing, but when you go away for a week and you're also compiling content. Wow, you got so much to catch up on. But the show comes first. Well, it does for the next hour at least. And today's a good one. We got Dennis Friedman. We all know Dennis. He's our favorite cricket correspondent. Now, Dennis, ever to put cock on block on any kind of opinion, any kind of matter where he thinks it's important, he's kind of, I don't know, if it's a face, if it's, sorry, if it's safe to say he's created a niche in Pakistan. But Dennis is one of those guys that can really either you love him or hate him. If you're English, you hate him. And if you're Pakistani by the sounds of things, you love him. So he's found a bit of a niche sort of audience in that country. And, you know, he's not scared to like tackle the big issues, whether it be about their players and match fixing or about the fact that, you know, India Pakistan relations are frayed for various reasons in which Dennis will then let Borea attack Sachin Tendulkar's record. So he's a guy that doesn't shy away from controversy. And it's just so great to see people who are really not scared to go and find stories. You know, like Dennis has a full time job. He's a full time family man, but here he is doing things in kind of a, in a field of investigative journalism that people aren't prepared to do. We all know that Pakistan weren't allowed to play home games, or they haven't been for quite some time now. They play their home games in the UAE, and despite that, they managed to become the number one test team in the world. 
And we all know Pakistan is just dogged with all kinds of things, but yet they somehow still maintain a team that can actually upset the best out there. And they won the Champions Trophy recently. They're so much more successful than the Pro Tiers. Their resources are so much fewer. All they've got essentially are just young kids with amazing hair that can bowl really fast and essentially hit the ball over the boundary ropes. So that's in a nutshell. Dennis, of course, is going there to go interview people, find out what's happening in the country, find out if it's a place that should become an international cricket destination again. And he'll be interviewing people in his own weird and wonderful ways as he does that. So today we're going to get more about his trip, what inspired it, what he's looking forward to, and if he's actually going. Because I'm pretty sure I saw a tweet yesterday about the fact that he might have difficulty entering the country. I mean, they wouldn't take Imran to here. They told him right to here, he's got no chance of going to Pakistan, even the fact that he used to be from that country. Anyways, let's not uh, get into that. Dennis, of course, will give me all, all the news around that. We need to get into what's happening in sport right now, and it is not a good time for Bafana Bafana. So every three, four years, uh, football fans in South Africa get really hopeful that maybe, just maybe, the national team could go to the World Cup. So they were at the World Cup in 2010 because, obviously, they hosted it. Uh, I think they were last of the World Cup in South Korea, which was 2002, if my flaky memory serves. But basically, the bottom line is not a great record. Don't get to the tournament very often, and it's knockouts phases if they do. So Stuart Baxter was the new coach. Bafana had a sort of steady the ship of late. They had a good unbeaten run. Uh, they were beating some teams in Africa that they never beaten before. Things were looking on the up and up. Stuart Baxter came in charge, and, well, the teams got right back to where it was. They lost to Cape Verde. Home and away. If you don't know too much about this island, it literally is just a small little island. It's like a volcanic atoll almost. Okay, maybe I'm being a bit harsh. It's a genuine island. But still, there's a population of 500,000 people. And they beat Bafana 2-1 last Friday. And then they beat them again this week 2-1, this time in Durban. So two losses, that's just, it's just not good enough. But because they beat Senegal, they still had some sort of a chance mathematically of staying in the hunt for World Cup qualification. But then yesterday it was revealed the match against Senegal now has to be replayed because Joseph Lampetti, Lamp, Lampte, sorry, I'm just terrible with names this week. Joseph Lampte, uh, he's been banned for life. Okay. So he was the ref. Uh, there was a very contentious penalty decision at best where the uh, Senegalese defender came in contact with the ball in the box. The ball hit his knee. The referee adjudicated it to be a handball. Bafana Bafana got a penalty. They scored. They won 2-1. Happy days, right? Well, no, FIFA's saying, nope, doesn't count. This game must now be replayed. The points in this game are now scrapped, and it's back to square one. So Bafana now have to literally win every game to have a mathematical chance, and a game they've already won didn't count. So, like, you can't script what an absolute train wreck these things are for, the, for this team right now. And obviously morale and belief in this team is back to an all-time low. It's kind of, uh, it's just sad. It's just so, so sad. And Stuart Baxter, for all his pedigree and all his local experience, well, he really is just looking, he's looking, looking lost right now. And the fans are giving him no sympathy whatsoever. But uh, there is a good story around football right now. And uh, that's got to do with a team that you would not expect whatsoever to be in in the conversation of football, let alone on the ability to actually make the World Cup themselves. And that is Syria. Yep, Syria. There is a team from Syria who play football. Somehow they managed to get it together. 
and uh, they are now on the, have a chance of qualifying for the the uh, World Cup in um, Russia, 2018. So how this came about is that they drew 2-2 with Iran. So that means that they go through. And now they're going to an Asian qualifier. So the Asian qualifier means they now have to play um, the Socceroos, Australia. So they didn't, so you get automatic qualifications in sort of the bigger pool. So we're final right now. They're in a, in a group where there's four teams, right? So if they win that group, top of that group, they get in. So how it works in other groups and the various stages of qualifying for the World Cup, there is now playoffs in within the playoffs. So that is where Syria now go on to play Australia. So that'll be in October. So that's next month. Now bear in mind, just like we opened up the show talking about Pakistan not having a home ground, Syria play all their home games in Malaysia. Now, if you know anything about geography, that's not exactly around the corner. So it is a bit of a ball ache for them. And uh, it really is something that's like, first up, their country is war-torn, ISIS-riddled, and Damascus, the, the capital city, is an absolute mess. Okay, So they've got that to deal with, first up. Then there's the whole thing about getting a team together, and there's no funding whatsoever for the Syrian team. And who, who's going to fund Syrian, a Syrian football team? The government probably doesn't give a toss. Uh, there's no, there's no corporate, there's no corporate sponsorship like that. There's not going to be international teams that are looking to queue up to, um, to put money into this. So they have nothing going for them other than just belief and a bit of talent. And, uh, they've also got a commentator that is really, really passionate about these guys. So Syria are going to play Australia next month. And if they win that, well, they just that much closer to getting into the World Cup where, uh, hopefully this guy will commentate throughout. His name is Omar Al Samar. Sorry, that's the guy who scored the goal. So basically in South America, they've always been going, go, whereas the sort of Middle Eastern Arabic equivalent of that is Allah. Uh, good for these guys. See, sport can make you smile. This is a good thing about this. All these horrible countries with their stupid ideology. Get a bit of football in there. Get a bit of sport in there. We saw it with cricket with Afghanistan. We can break the shackles of these horrible, stupid people, these religious fanatics. And, uh, well, sport can always win. Allah. Yeah, it was a pretty good goal. So, yeah, Syria, they play Australia in a two-legged clash. And then if they win that, they go through to play someone from the CONCACAF region. And if they win that, they're in Russia. And uh, that'll be quite something. Uh, yeah, so that's the football. There's obviously other World Cup qualifiers throughout the world right now, which means that there hasn't been any league action. And um, it's, it's nice to see the international stuff, but it's not nearly as interesting. And people aren't as invested in the process. All the big teams have been winning. Although France, they drew with Luxembourg, which is just embarrassing. 0-0 zero, zero against Luxembourg. Very, very dodgy there, considering all the talent that the French team do have. And uh, that's pretty much all you need to know about sport. 
It is, uh, well, it's a big week for tennis because obviously the US Open gets to its final this weekend. And for the first time, South Africans actually have something to really cheer about. So not since 2003 has there been a South African in the semifinals of a Grand Slam. But Kevin Anderson, well, he beat Sam Query yesterday, and with that, he is into the U.S. Open semifinals. His his best result so far has been a quarterfinal uh, in the Grand Slams, but he's gone one better here. And it's a really big deal for a player like him. So, you know, he he's a solid player. He's obviously going to make a good living out of the game because he's there, thereabouts. But to get to this, like the upper echelons of sport, if you make the fourth round, in tennis, you're making good money, right? But you get into this kind of rarefied atmosphere, it's a real big deal. So he'll be taking on Karina Buster from Spain. That'll be his semifinal opponent. And then on the top side, well, uh, Jean Dolpotra, I think his first name is Jean, Jean Martin Dolpotra. He beat Federer, which is a real shame because everybody wants to see the Federer Nadal semifinal. Nadal was too good for the Russian uh, teenager, so he's gone through. So Nadal Del Potro, Anderson Karina Buster, that is your semifinals for the men's. And in the women's, well, it's an all-American affair. Of course, still no Serena because she's becoming a mom, and uh, that's obviously a big priority. So she's been out for well, most of the year uh, after winning the Australian Open. So the semifinals will be Coco Vanderwey and uh, some woman called Keys. Forgot her name now, her first name. So two Americans there, and then Venus. Uh, so Venus has actually been doing great since Serena's going to maternity leave. She'll be taking on Stevens. So four Americans, which is quite a contrast from the American game. Sorry, the, the, the men's game where the Americans don't feature. They just don't feature at all. Women's tennis is so strong there for them. So that is your semi-final draw for the final Grand Slam of the year. Andy Murray, he'll be out for the rest of the year because his troublesome hip injury has really plagued him throughout. Of course, he's not featuring here. Uh, either is Djokovic. So the bottom side where Kevin Anderson is, very much open draw. And uh, hopefully he can make it all the way through the finals from that. Into cricket, we're not going to touch on too much that's going on in the test match. We can just open up with uh, Dennis in a bit because Australia is doing very well against Bangladesh finally. But Otis Gibson is officially the Proteas coach and it's across all three formats. He is doing uh, duty or well, his finals are duties with England right now because he has been the bowling coach for the English and uh, they're current in a series decider against West Indies in a test series. Uh, it's 1-1 one, one so far. The decided will be played at Lords, which will be starting basically now, if you're listening, uh, live. Otherwise, yeah, it's a Thursday to Monday affair. And uh, Otis Gibson, well, is he the best guy for the job? Uh, you know, there is no sort of best guy. Uh, best guy, like it's all very, it's very subjective. But he is someone new. And I think um, there's a lot to, you can look into this. I wrote a, uh, a piece about this for the website holdingwilly.com. It's a Indian cricket website that I write for every month. And I, I am very, I wouldn't say pessimistic. I'm just kind of, if you pick up, if you join the dots where things have been going in SA cricket, and obviously that tour of England has just been embarrassing because the English team isn't so flash. I still believe that there's massive flaws in that English team. The West Indies just exposed it. I mean, they beat them handsomely in that second test. Um, and this South African team was just, it didn't have a usual sort of fight or tenacity, if nothing else. Sure, there's been some issues around star players not playing or being injured, but there should always be enough to beat the English team or at least be competitive at the very least. We've got a great record in England and it's now all just done. That's it. These great records that the Proteus have are falling away. And the fact that they did what they always do in the Champions Trophy as well, it just hasn't been a good season for the Proteus. So Russell Domingo has gone. 
he will now sort of step back into the SAA fold. That is, of course, the team below the Proteus. It's the next one. It's not some dodgy bankrupt, corrupt airline. Um, so with Otis, you know, he, he's been around the block as far as the player's concerned, kind of more considered your journeyman sort of cricket pro rather than your out and out international superstar. But he has played international cricket. He's played quite a lot of cricket in South Africa itself. So I remember growing up as a, as a wee boy back in the nineties. I remember watching Otis playing in, uh, back in the Benson Hedges 50 over day night series. That was a thing. So Otis will know parts of South Africa. It's now about acclimatizing to the current South Africa with the political, uh, how do you, what do you, what do you phrase it? The political landscape, I guess, of how teams get selected, how development is done. And a lot is made of this because it is a lot to take in. Now you can gloss over it by saying, well, you know, that's just how it is. Sure. But you've got to understand it in order to do the best with it. It's one thing accepting how things are in South Africa, it's a very another thing, different thing all together to actually really understand it and be able to work it. So how that will take place, obviously, it's a group effort. So Otis is going to need a whole bunch from Faf Duplessis. He's going to need a whole bunch from Cricket South Africa itself, but to the point where he isn't stifled. Now, this is going to be the horrible balancing act that SA Cricket now has to play with this new coach. Because he's a foreign coach, he should be able to bring expertise that he wouldn't get internally. And that is a plus of having Otis Gibson. But the fact that he's a foreign coach is that there's going to be a lot of management internally. And whenever people get managed, especially in a playing environment that is not healthy, when the boardroom goes onto the playing field, it's a difficult thing for anyone to understand, let alone get the best out of any situation. So I am quietly not so confident. Uh, I hope I'm be wrong about this. But he's essentially he's the new face. Take this team to the World Cup in 2019, um, and obviously just try get back in the mix test wise. It's a difficult start because well you got Bangladesh for a small test series, and then it might be India. You know India doing the usual thing where they're umming and ahhing, playing hard to get, knowing that they hold all the leverage. They hold all the leverage in it in world cricket. So there's meant to be a test series, but you know no one's got dates, no one's got confirmation. India are playing Sri Lanka in a whole bunch of pointless matches where Sri Lanka are literally just rolling over, and uh, it's going to be difficult for him to then plan. You know, so if that series doesn't happen, then then what? The guy needs to have plans. He needs to have fixtures. He needs to know what he's doing, where he's going with his team. So I I wish him nothing but the best, but it's going to be very very difficult. Into golf. Well, it's a very exciting time for golf because we get into the end of the season. So the big money events around the FedEx Cup all being played. Justin Thomas, he won again. He won the Dell Technologies, uh, something or other. And, uh, with that, it's, I think it's almost kind of sewn up that he will be sort of the golfer of the year. You know, he's finally got through. He won his first major. He won those three events right at the start of the season. He shot a 59. He broke course records and tournament records and the guy really is just coming into his own and he's just so much more than Jordan Spieth's friend now junior ranks growing up these two are neck and neck so there's no surprise that they are kind of now more of a parity as far as um you know golfing abilities on the big stage it's just that Jordan has such a blowout sorry like such a explosion out of the blocks as a pro but I think um, Justin Thomas the way the guy goes about the game he's a fantastic finisher people are making this a really big thing now and it just bodes well for American golf, which brings me into the President's Cup. So once the FedEx Cup's done and dusted, we then have the President's Cup. 
and that will be uh, 26th of September that will start. So as you know, it's essentially the Ryder Cup format, but you've got the Americans taking on the rest of the world, so everybody who's not European. And sadly, this tournament has promised so much, but it's delivered very little over the years because it's just been so one-sided. The best that the international have done is they won in 98 in Melbourne, and then in 2003 they drew in fan courts in George here in South Africa. So uh, I can't see the internationals troubling the Americans here because these guys, if you look, I think, um, interesting stat, if you take all the world rankings of the teams, so there is a 12-man team, so you get the top 10, uh, just to run you through the Americans. So it's Dustin Johnson, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler, Danny, Daniel Berger, Brooks Kepka, Kevin Kistner, Patrick Reed, Matt Kuchar, Kevin Chappell. Those are the guys who are qualified by points. And then Steve Stricker, who is the captain. He has two captain's picks. He's gone with Charlie Hoffman, which is the next guy in form. And Phil Mickelson, who, of course, is just an all-round legend of golf. Add all those up, the average world ranking for this team is 15.6. Okay, 15.6 average ranking. You look at the international team. Well, that's headed up by Hideki Matsuyama. Then you've got Jason Day, Adam Scott, Louis Ostazen, Mark Leishman, Charles Swartzel, Brandon Grace, Siwoo Kim, Jonathan Vegas, Adam Hadwin, and then Nick Price, the captain of the international team, has chosen Emiliano Grillo and Anuban Lahiri. Those are your two picks. And they add up to, well, not quite the great score an average of 31.9 in the world rankings so basically double uh i know it's just stats you can't really take much into it but when you think that adam scott isn't the golfer he used to be jason day's form is all over the place louis tazen also kind of up and down um it's just there isn't a lot of form in this team matsuyama is obviously an incredible player the wild card picks are very much wild card picks uh but like that american team well that is just brimming with talent form ability and star power but let's not worry about that. Let's get into some cricket. Uh, I think that's my rest of my checklist. Um, yeah, US Open tennis, that's going well. Crickets, no one else has pulled out of that T20 uh, Global League, which is a good thing. Rugby-wise, of course, it is the Rugby Championship this weekend. So the box have announced their team. And their Kunios Tazen has been given the go-ahead from an injury niggle. But Franco Mostert is being managed. So that means Ludwig comes onto the bench. And Peter Steffes Toy will start next to Ibn Elizabeth. Otherwise, it's pretty much the team you expect. But Andre Pollard, he comes onto the bench. And Cohen uh, Bosch has gone back to playing Curry Cup rugby. Pollard, there's been many things written about the fact that his condition is coming along great. He is looking like he's rearing to go. The guy really hasn't played much in two years. And uh, obviously, there's huge amounts of... Um, potential with this guy, huge amounts of belief in him from all the coaches that are around. So it'd be interesting to see if he's be used and how he'll be used over the weekend. And um you know people still believe that this question marks around Elton Janchis who no matter what he does, I think he'll always be a hard be hard for him to kind of win over this the South African rugby public. So that match eleven thirty five South African time, the all blacks will be taking Argentina prior to that. So you've got a great weekend of rugby championships, uh, rugby this weekend. But, um, this whole matchup between Australia and the Springboks, it could not really come at a better time. Both of these teams have come on the back or come off the, the back of a pretty woeful run of, of, of results when you think the last 18 months. But they seem to be hitting form in that the, the box looks settled. They've got a good team. Uh, the Aussies, well, if you look at the last sort of, um, 120 minutes against the All Blacks, they were pretty good. They were blown away in that first 40 minutes in Sydney. But after that, they actually looked pretty good against the world's best team. And obviously an interesting stat that, uh, Sport 24 was throwing around that both of these teams have played 101 rugby championship matches. 
of that, each side has won 42 matches, each have lost 57, and each have lost two. So 101 games, identical record. They've both been dominated by New Zealand over the years. They've both had their own successes and their own triumphs. They've both had their very, very low lows. So it's going to be a very good match. And it's the first real, I believe, the first fantastically difficult or just test kind of um challenge for the box this year i know that with the french you know you still have to beat them and they did and the box have done very well in doing so the rg's have been scrappy but they're always tough opponents but now it comes down to what i believe is a real real test match and i'm massively excited about that so that's the rugby for the weekend of course there's a lot of carry cup on the go there's the pro 14 as well with the cheaters and kings they are playing against northern hemisphere teams still to early to call but they both suffered Big losses this last weekend. It's been very interesting to see how that thing develops. But from here, we must get into our chat with Dennis, who is, um, I think it's just every week until he goes over to uh, Pakistan. Now, as I was saying at the start of the show, Dennis is always up for doing different things within cricket. And a trip to Pakistan isn't exactly what a lot of people would have gone for. But that is what Dennis has done. Dennis, how's it going? How's it been? I'm going well, mate. Yeah, all right. Very good. Thanks. Very good. So, um, I don't know where to start with this. This sounds like the most bizarre trip that anybody in the field of sports journalism has ever wanted to take up. Is this because you were curious or is this because you developed a bit of a cult sort of status in Pakistan? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to explain, mate. It's, um, I think it's curiosity that's taken over into a, uh, Oh, where to start? So I was following the Champions Trophy um, semi-final and final when Pakistan beat England in the semi-final and they beat India in the final. And um, both times I was drunk at a pub with with friends and sort of said, oh, we should go to Pakistan, we should go to Pakistan. And then all the great ideas start with I was drunk at a pub with friends. Yes. <laughs> and so I tweeted out after the final when they won the final that I... That's it. I'm coming to Pakistan. And in the morning, when I finally awoke and checked my replies, it had gone a bit crazy. And um, there's a there's a genuine desire for Pakistanis to get vindication, I think, from people outside of Asia that it's um, first world safe and a pleasant place to be. So um, I'm a bit, of a, a bit of an adventurer and, and stuff, and I'm going. And... Um, I've been uh, organising the trip for a while now and for maybe about eight weeks. It's happened pretty quick, but um, off we go. So uh, hopefully in about a week and a bit's time I get on the plane. Mind you, I'm still waiting for my friggin' visa to turn up. But, <laughs> but um, I'm told reliably from the Ministry of the Interior at, uh, in Islamabad it's only a day or so away. But um, off we go. And, uh, I, you know, there's a lot of things I want to explore, Ben. I want to, I, I guess we have all these perceptions as, as, you know, you and I, we're sort of, as everyone else would tell us, we're privileged middle class white guys. And, um, yeah. I really want to understand is, is Pakistan what we think it is? Is it full of suicide bombers and terrorists and guys that shit in the street and corruption? And is it filthy or is it something else? And, um, you know, there hasn't well, there hasn't been Test cricket played there since two thousand and nine, when terrorists did shoot up the Sri Lankan team bus. You know that's something we can't deny. But sure. uh, I really want to explore if that's changed. And um, the locals in Pakistan, the media that I deal with, and um, um, a lot of my followers who who I like engaging with and enjoy engaging with, tell me it's safe to come, and I'm going to go find out. And, and as my wife said, mate, uh, 
if I come back alive, I've done uh, one better than Osama bin Laden because he didn't get out of there alive. <laughs> now, from my understanding, Islamabad has kind of been like a safe safe zone. I mean, that's pretty much like uh, it's been a bit of a compound. So there hasn't been an issue about playing games in Islamabad. It's more about the other regions. Is that correct? Um, look, there's been issues in Lahore. So that's where the shooting happened on the team yeah. bus with Sri Lanka in 2009. Um, but the main cities of Lahore, Islamabad, Karachi, are sort of in the on the eastern side of Pakistan along the Indian border, um, if you're thinking about a map. And that side, I feel, is okay. It's when you go to the western side, the Afghan border, um, and maybe into the north a bit against the Chinese border, it can get a little bit hairy, um, and into sort of that Kashmir space where the line of control is but uh, you know one of my aims is to get up to the line of control and hit a hit a ball over the line into india to say stuff you india <laughs> um i also hope to hit a ball into uh osama bin laden's compound which is an hour north of um islamabad in a place called faisalabad so uh, if i get up there we'll have some film of me doing that too so how have you gone in planning your trip like what's your itinerary or you literally get into the airport and you can see what happens I have no idea. <laughs> I have. I've got a local fixer. Um, look, the guys at cricketgif.com, who's um, probably the main Pakistani cricket website, they've been fantastic and um, helping put this together. But the reality is, as, as you would know, when you plan a trip um, to do a documentary or do this kind of thing, you know, best laid plans as soon as you land, put them to bed. This is Pakistan. I don't expect anything to go as planned. I don't expect anything to be easy. Um, I do have um, uh, an itinerary that has me in Karachi, Islamabad, Multan, uh, what have I forgotten, Lahore, um, Peshawar, and maybe into the north into a place called Gilgit. But um, God knows, mate, I've got to get, got to get uh, through customs first. And then uh, once I get inside the main cities, as a journalist, I need um, permission on the day to be able to go places. So access around Pakistan won't be too easy outside of the major cities. Um, I've got some really interesting challenges lined up. I've challenged Misbah al-Haq to a, to a push-up challenge. I've been training hard for that. Um, so uh, at the moment, he's tentatively available on the date, so I want to see him. Um, I've got a cricket match lined up with some ex-Pakistani cricketers. I've got some interviews lined up with some uh, guys that have been uh, charged and and um, convicted of corruption over there. So it's, it's going to be interesting. We're, they're, they're all the plans. Now, whether they come off or not is another story. I've also got, um, for those that might be listening in Pakistan, I've got some meet and greets lined up um, in the main cities. We'll be doing meet and greets at all the um, mocha coffee cafes and then at two of the universities. Um, we'll be announcing in a day or so some shows that I'm doing where I'm going to try and do some stand-up cricket comedy and see how that goes. That could be a complete disaster, but every dollar raised will go to charity, so it's worth coming just for that. So you essentially are basically doing what Steve Ward did after he retired. You're just going there, goodwill mission, you're going you're gonna to hold babies and that kind of stuff. No, no, Steve Ward legitimately did it for charity. I'm doing it just to raise my profile and to, <laughs> and to, <laughs> and to see if I can tell a story. Steve Ward had much better motives than I do. So the whole thing about Pakistan being kind of like the North Korea of cricket, when you think about it, it's an isolation. Are we? I mean, is is there any talk that the ICC are going? Okay, look, guys, if we get this in place and that in place, and if you guys play ball with this and give us some assurities, is there even talk about international cricket returning? Like, but genuinely, no. We're not talking about just like a, uh, a, a yes. random Zimbabwe Test match or something like that. Yeah, no, Ben, there's a lot. I mean, obviously, Zimbabwe went there two years ago. Uh, we have the World 11 T20s happening next week. 
I think they start in the 11th. So there's three of those with sort of some current and washed-up cricketers going for three T20s. Uh, I can well, tell you now the security arrangements for that. Uh, it's got to be current and washed-up because <laughs> they went let Imran Tahir go. Yeah, but Paul Collingwood's going, right? So that kind of balances that out. But um, they've, um, you know, the security for that is, is high. You know, it's, it's VVIP and it's all in, in, in one city and it's easy to lock down. Yeah. Um, there's talk of at least one ODI of the upcoming Sri Lankan tour in the following weeks to be played in Lahore. Um, so that's on the cards. There's current negotiations going with the West Indies Cricket Board to get over there for some ODIs as well. Um, but really, if you want to break the back of this, India need to pull their head out of their ass and get back over there and start playing Test cricket again. And and I think we we just as a you know as, as sport lovers Ben and as cricket lovers we miss so much by not having cricket in Pakistan it's just another dimension to, to to what goes on and it's very different to say India you know we think it's just the same but if you think about India we think about slow turning pitches and spinners and, and, and whatnot. whereas Pakistan's the home of the great fast bowler and has a totally different culture and, and you know has a warrior class of quicks that, that just uh, uh, continually pumps out and we're missing seeing that on their own pitches and um Geez, I'd love to see Mohammed Amir bowling to Virat Kohli in, you know, in Karachi. How good would that be? Well, exactly. Like, I find maybe that's just my upbringing, uh, but I just find cricket's got a bit soft. That now spinning is dominating everything. You think spin, T Twenty, the spinners are the kings. Test matches now, spinners are opening the bowling. I mean, that's like <laughs> Nathan Lyon is an opening bowler now. So I, I agree with you. You know, we get that that strange, fearsome, fast bowling. When Waki Yunus used to run in there with his nine and a half fingers, he was making batsmen shit their pants because that was cricket for them. Like it was so exciting to see, and like having that element back. Like, um, I forgot his name. The guy that syphilis. Um, Oh, Shah Bakhtar. Yeah, exactly. Well, it was General Warts. But, but oh, sorry. <laughs> Shah Bakhtar, Wazim Akram, um, Waka Yunus, Muhammad Amir, Muhammad Asif, uh, Imran Khan. You can keep going. You can keep going. They, Pakistan produced warriors. And on the batsmen's, you know, on the batting side, um, you had, um, you know, guys like Inzamam and Yunus and Mizbah have just retired. If you go back a little bit further, there was a guy that waved the bat at Dennis Lilly. I've just his name. Uh, not Salim Malik. Um, no, jeez, uh, I've had a mental blank. Um, doesn't matter. At the Wacker, you know, you've, you know, you've had little Pakistani guys threaten Dennis Lilly with cricket bats. These guys are warriors and they're fighters. And, and um, you know, we need to get that back. We need to see that back. It doesn't. It's not the same playing in front of, um, you know, three goats and, and, and two sort of, Filipino maids and, and a whole lot of sand in the middle of Dubai. That's not that's not home cricket for them. Exactly. So you touch on the point that India needs to come to the party, but I mean India they they can't even like confirm fixtures to go play South Africa. This is a place that's actually quite nice to come and travel to, and it's proven. So they can't even do that at the <laughs> moment. So I, I I don't have much faith in in that turning around. Like is is it purely a point you reckon that it's there's no interest for India financially, so therefore they couldn't give a toss. Or is it purely just a as it's a ego thing? No, this is this is purely politics and ego. Um, you know, the, the the biggest financial rewards for Indian cricket is to play Pakistan. There's 180 million people on the other side of the border. Um, there is no bigger market than Pakistan for India to go play, and it's this is political ego. If you look at who's been running the BCCI recently. Um, you had Anurag Thakur recently, you know, he's a, he's a Minister of Parliament, so for him it's all about votes. Before him you had your, your good friend Srinivasan, yeah. for him it was all about lining his own pockets, for him and MS Dhoni. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, and at the moment it's under control of the Supreme Court, so at least there's some sense coming back to it. But it's just going to take time. Um, you know, and, and the Indians, Indians are hypocrites. They, they say, oh, no, we can't play Pakistan. We won't do bilateral series against Pakistan. You know, they're a terrorist nation. They send terrorists to play us. Oh, unless it's a World Cup, of course, and then we'll, we'll obviously play because we wouldn't want to miss out on that. Yeah, we'll definitely, so, like, like by coincidence, be in the same group and play. Yeah, it's total accident. Yeah, total accident, total accident. So with regards to some of your interviews, uh, lining those up, is it because you you want to get guys who will sort of speak the truth or are you going to have, you know, like, like, like do you sort of have like a content sort of angle you really want to get out of this trip? And, and do you have, do yeah. you, in, your, in your opinion, interviews that will help that? Um, yeah, look, good question. I, I do. I want to explore um, people that were around in 2009 and understand the security situation then and now. I'm trying to, well, I have lined up at the moment tentatively, you know, some majors in the army and some people from the Ministry of the Interior to talk about the security situation. I want to attack that perception. I've got people that have been involved in, in match fixing and, and, and around that, and I want to explore that from the corruption angle. Um, I'm trying really, really hard to get to Wazim Akram. Um, you know my thoughts on him, and, and uh, I've written extensively about him and, and his uh, involvement in corruption in Pakistani cricket. Yep. Um, at the at the moment, I'm trying to blackmail him essentially by saying, "Look, if you don't have the interview with me, I'm just going to record some video footage of me calling you, and you're either not answering the phone or telling me no, and then we can see that you're a bit of a coward." So either way, that's going to be fun. <laughs> um, and then then I'm exploring. I'm also then you know that's the negative side of Pakistan and the perceptions. I want to explore the positive side. Is I want to I'm, you know we've organised a street ball tournament, um, a tape ball tournament. I've got a cricket match where I'm playing in a local t- uh, 2020 match with a, in a local club down at Karachi. Um, I'm going to go and explore the countryside and see what what Pakistan is all about outside of the cities. Um, so I want to try, you know take it from all angles. Cricket's obviously the glue, and I think most people that will watch this. We'll have some interesting cricket, um, and people will want to see that I've had it. If I can get the Imran Khan and these kind of guys, but I'm sure they'll also want to see, hey, you know, is it really just a big, ugly slum, um, or is it something different to that? And we'll, we'll explore that. Oh, look, I think it's such an—I wouldn't say noble gesture. That sounds a bit cliched, but I just think we get force-fed so much crap in the media, and everyone's got their own agendas and whatever it may be. People are always going to cut and paste from somewhere else because too much hard work to find a real story. Now, with you going there, have you been approached by other sort of media outlets or people that want to kind of get more of your voice around the situation? So, like, as far as if you're there... Yeah, yeah, no. If, yeah, look, you, and uh, again, it's a bit in, in and out. So, um, you know, I've had um, a big TV station talking to me about running. Um, I, I was planning to make a movie. They want six to half-hour episodes, so we, we might cut it up like that for those guys, and they want okay. to run it before the PSL starts in January. Um, I've, I've got two radio interviews booked on the two biggest radio networks. Um, I've got a couple of sort of breakfast TV type stuff, things booked up. Um, and I've got a lot of journalists that sort of want to play and do the story. But, um, so yeah, the, the interest is there. The interest is, is strong and it's good. The corporate uh, interest has been really strong as well, which I'm really happy about, which allows us to make a decent, um, you know, put together a decent production rather than having to film it on my iPhone on a selfie stick, which was my original plan. But uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it comes together. Ben, look, I, I guess one thing I've learned through this process, one of the guys who spoke to me in the early days when I announced I'm coming said, Dennis, uh, this is Pakistan. A lot of tea can fall from the cup between you by, by the time you raise it and by the time it gets to your lips. And uh, 
I'm fighting that. There's a lot of promises made and things happen and then things don't happen. So, uh, again, it's a bit chaotic and I don't know how it'll be, but uh, at the moment I feel um, that I'm going to be safe and I, and I feel that I'm surrounded by some good people when I get over there and um, there, there's a lot of goodwill flowing my way at the moment and I just uh, hope that I can uh, do the right thing by the Pakistani people and the cricket public and uh, put together a story um, or a narrative that, that that shows the true Pakistan. Now, it may, it may prove to be, Ben, that the perceptions that uh, you and I have about Pakistan and have been making jokes about Pakistan all these, all these years hold true, sure. and and that's the story I'm going to tell. Or it might may hold true that uh, the perceptions that we have are totally um, inverse to what the reality is, and if that's the truth, then I'll tell that. But uh, as you know, mate, I'm not shy of telling it how it is, so whatever I find, that's what's gonna, what we're going to show. Very nice, Dennis. Well, I wish you all the best with your travels. But before I let you go, we've got to quickly touch on this Australia-Bangladesh series. Um, yeah. First test did not go well for the Aussies. Was that a bit of a surprise? No. Or is it just very much like once you're in the jungle, so to speak, um, you know, you're going to really battle the conditions? No, I wasn't surprised at all. I think I predicted Bangladesh should probably win it 2-0. The squad they took over there is a joke. They've fallen back into their old ways of trying to play 15 bits and pieces cricketers in a team of 11 right so the, you know, we've got four rounders in this team we've got four spinners we've got a wicket keeper that can't catch um, you know, it's a bit of a mess and I see um, and we did that uh, I see Maxwell's batting five uh, Cartwright I'm pulling a blank here because basically that's the Mitchell Marsh position he's batting six and then, yep. and then you've got Wade Agar is that the right Agar which of the brothers is that I heard the younger brother's got more talent <laughs> or, or, or is it's it, the is Agar it, that made it 98 in is it, is uh, it Ash, Ashes. Ashes, Hero, Ashton, Agar. Okay. Uh, and then you're yes. basically just playing one one seamer and uh, just a whole bunch of spinners. Yeah, yeah and the seamer, we, the seamer we're playing is a guy that's played, this is his fifth test match, and he made his debut in 2011 or something against you guys. Like, So he's a bloke that can't even stay on the park, and we're bowling him into the ground in some of the harshest conditions known to man for cricket. Um, I'm, I'm really surprised, to be honest, what's happened today. I mean, uh, if it wasn't for Nathan Lyon, who is the greatest of all time, as you and I know, well, um, they'd be in a, they'd be in a yeah. water hurt. So is this just a way of like sort of resting the seamers for the, for the big thing, which is, of course, the Ashes? <laughs> uh, well, Hazelwood's injured, Stark's injured, Pattinson's told the selectors he doesn't want to play until the Ashes, so that his body's 100% right. So they're only left with Cummins. They took Bird over there and haven't bowled him. So um, uh-huh. I think that you, the team that's there now is not the team that's going to play the Ashes. Um, the Ashes will get back to three mad quicks, Nathan Lyon, hopefully a decent keeper, five batsmen, and we'll have one donkey batting at number six, whether that name is Cartwright, Marsh, Maxwell, Moses Enriques, who knows, but it'll be someone that we think's Jacques Callis and will end up playing like Jade Dernbach. No, but, but like, but really, part of my ignorance. But who is the top five though? Because obviously, Renshaw, Warner, Smith—that's like done and dusted. But who's the other two that could make a top five here? Uh, Kawaja will bat three. Yeah, but Smith Australia. Will bat four. Australia hates Kawaja though. The selectors. I mean, has he done something with the selectors' daughter or something? Because that guy, he'll score a hundred and he'll be carrying drinks after that. Yeah, so so they have this thing, right? It's like it's this perceptions like you have of Pakistan that the selectors have this perception of Kawaja in Asia. Which is he can't play. I'll take it back. We went there in February to play India, and they had this one month training camp in Dubai, and they pulled Kawaja, who was the most informed ODI player in the world at that time, out of a tour of New Zealand, of an ODI tour, and they took him to Dubai 
to get ready for a month to go to India and then didn't play him in one test match. Um, and then they take him to Bangladesh. They play him in one match and drop him again for some guy called Hilton Cartwright, um, who's a Zimbabwean-born. He should be playing for you guys. Um, he's done nothing ever. Um, but, you know, this is the way of the Australian selectors when we do tours. At home, we tend to get selections right. So it'll be Renshaw, Warner, Kawaja, Smith, Hanscom, either Wade or Neville. Um, oh, sorry, there'll be a, a, a um, Maxwell. Sorry, number six will be Maxwell, Enrique's, Cartwright or Mitch Marsh. There'll be Wade or Neville, three bowlers and a spinner. And, and, and that'll be the right team. But, um, geez, I wish we could get a decent number six. Yeah, well... We need Bavuma. Can we exactly, borrow Bavuma exactly. for summer? Exactly. Team of Bavuma is, is C. Value at six. But then again, the Proteas are strong in all the wrong areas. But then that's a different conversation altogether. Uh, Dennis, I'm going to let you go there. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, one last question. But obviously, still yeah. strong enough to win the Ashes, though. Oh, they win the Ashes 5-0. The, the, the English side... Uh, I'm calling that now, Ben, and I don't say that even facetiously... The English side is a joke. The, the top five of England has Joe Root and Alistair Cook, and that's it. Um, and then it's a team of all-rounders. And guys like Moen Ali and Ben Stokes won't be able to perform in, in on, on the bouncy pitches in Australia. James Anderson, the ball doesn't swing in Australia. Um, you know, the most the most dangerous thing that England can bring um, to Australia is probably some sort of disease that gets through customs and then infects the Australian dressing room. They're, they're going to get smashed. Are you telling me you guys aren't quaking your boots for Toby Roland Jones? <laughs> guys with hy- hyphenated names that go to private schools are the scariest thing known to man, Ben. You and I both know that, but uh, he's not it. <laughs> All right, Dennis. Well, we'll keep tabs. You. When do you actually leave for Pakistan? Visa pending. Uh, if the visa comes through Monday or Tuesday, then I'm going to go on. I leave on the 19th. Um, okay, if cool. it doesn't, I'm just going to push the trip back a week. But uh, it's it's definitely on. All right. Fantastic. So that's Dennis underscore cricket or Dennis cricket underscore. I always forget. Dennis cricket Dennis, underscore. Dennis cricket underscore on the Twitter. That's the first place to find Dennis. Dennis, I, I wish you nothing but the best. And um, I look forward to chatting to you after your trip, which is no doubt going to be amazing. Appreciate it. Appreciate the support, Ben. All the best, mate. All right, mate. All the best. Cheerios. Bye. So that pretty much wraps it up for the week. Um, yeah, we'll definitely have Dennis back on because, I mean, what a trip. Can you imagine that? Going to Pakistan, doesn't know a lot of what's going on there. And as you said, there's no real guarantees. He's just going to try and make the most of it. Uh, you got to admire guys. Just, again, it's about creating good content. That's all, all it's about. Forget the egos. Forget about the safety areas. Go and get good content make good content i just wish more of the media was about that that is pretty much it for the show this week the premier league is back so look out saturday man city versus liverpool 130 south african time that's going to be a big one everton are taking on spurs that'll be at four south african time as well and then arsenal oh, the woes of arsenal it's only going to get worse i believe they'll take on bournemouth also at four chelsea will be away to leicester at uh, four o'clock and then Stoke City will take on the the might of Manchester United, who have yet to concede so far in the season. That'll be 6.30 on Saturday. And then that's pretty much all the big games you've got to worry out for. It is MTN 8 locally here in South Africa again. So we've got Marisburg United versus Supersport United, quarter past eight on Saturday. And then Sunday, Vitz, who have had a bit of a rocky start to the season. Of course, they are the MTN 8 Cup holders and the League Cup holders. They'll take on Cape Town City in the return leg there. That'll be at three o'clock on Sunday. Kevin Hunt's already lost twice to Benny McCarthy and that team. Is it going to be a full house of three? Catch you back next week. Go on to thebounce.co.za for more content. Otherwise, follow me on Twitter at followthebounce. And uh, same for Facebook and Instagram, the, the Bounce. Otherwise, find me on 
YouTube at also at Follow the Bounce. Thanks for joining me. It's been as great as ever, and I'll play out with well, whatever. Catch you back next week. This is Cliffcentral.com.